Well, let's recall where we left off. We're in Revelation chapter 11, and uh, we had learned about the two prophets. Uh, remember that? So you had the two prophets, and we looked. Were they Moses and Elijah? Was it Elisha and Elijah? Or was it two other men, Jewish men, who are alive today that weren't connected with the Old Testament? Will, will it be two prophets like that that are going to be raised up? So we looked at that last time, and if you want more information, you can go back and check that out on the website. But uh, for three and a half years, <coughs> whoever these two prophets are, they'll be preaching in Jerusalem. And they'll be preaching a message of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the need for repentance. So you're going to have the, the two prophets preaching. You're going to have 144,000 Jewish preachers that are also out there. If you've been with us in the book of Revelation, you know that. And then also, there's going to be an angel flying during the second half of the tribulation proclaiming judgment coming, you better turn to God. Ultimately, it's the fulfillment between the two prophets, the 144,000 and the angel, is the fulfillment where Jesus said that this gospel will be preached to all the world and then I will return. But with these two prophets, you can imagine how much the world would, will hate them. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear the 144,000 uh, preaching to them. Nobody's going to be able to stop them. For three and a half years, they're preaching. Nobody's going to be able to stop them, but then the Antichrist will rise up and he will be able to kill them. In fact, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible says, when they finish their testimony, the beast, the Antichrist that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So their bodies are going to lay in the streets of Jerusalem. And then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. They're going to lay them out there on the streets. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Wow, they tormented everybody on the earth. What did they torment them with? The truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want the gospel. Their words were torment. Get rid of them. <coughs> and so their bodies are laying out there, and they begin, when they're dead, the, the Antichrist kills them. They are dead. They're not just dead. They're dead, dead. They're completely dead. Three and a half days, they're dead. And the world's rejoicing. They're making merry. It's like Christmas time. They are celebrating. They're giving each other gifts. Woohoo! They're digging it. You and I can visualize this today. We have a sentiment that is rapidly growing that is more and more anti-Christian, don't we? Uh, here's a video I watched. And I actually read about this before I watched the video. Is Harvard waging a war on Christianity? It's about a Christian club shut down at Harvard. But it's not just Harvard. It's across the board at universities in America. It's obviously in the media it obviously comes out of, out of Hollywood, too. You start reading about some of the things coming out of Hollywood. After James uh, Woods, who sticks up for righteousness, he said this. He said, they loathe Christians. And he's talking about uh, Google, and he's talking about Hollywood. They loathe, they hate Christians. And you hear more and more of the remarks of those who hate Christians and want to do away 
with Christianity. But there's some good news here. You know Jim Caviezel, the actor Jim Caviezel? Jim Caviezel gives the most politically incorrect reasons for choosing films to star in. You know, he was the one who played in The Passion of the Christ. And, and also the Apostle Paul, I think. After Jim Caviezel said he chooses to star in a film if he thinks it will bring the most souls to Christ. That is a remarkable thing, isn't it? You look at that and you go, so not everything out of Hollywood is bad. Not everything out of Hollywood is anti-Christian. You have James Woods, you have Jim Caviezel and some others, and you're thinking, okay. But we can certainly get this, this thought process that the world will celebrate when, they're, when these two prophets are dead. They're laying in the streets dead. Uh, you hear so much. That people just want to do away with Christians. You think of the rhetoric against Donald Trump. How many people in the media and on news outlets, mainstream media, would celebrate if Donald Trump was dead? They talk about it. They talk about killing him. They talk about cutting off his head. They talk about these things. So celebrating, woohoo! So could you imagine? Now imagine. The rapture takes place. Woohoo! Donald Trump's gone. Woohoo! They are celebrating, right? The new world order's in power, and all of a sudden these two men show up on the scene. The, listen, the time's going to come when the world is going to celebrate. We finally got our global world order. We finally got the new world order here, and all of a sudden these two guys are going to show up. They are not going to be happy about that. Whatever we can do to kill these guys because we want, no, we already dealt with this with those crazy Christians that the UFOs took out of here. However, you know, whatever, whatever reason it is, they say we're raptured, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the Trump era is gone, and the, the New World Order has swooped in. So they are rejoicing. These two guys are dead. They were ruining our New World Order, but uh-oh, something happens. And you guys know what it is, don't you? So, what is it? We're going to read it anyways. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered these two prophets. And they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Uh, imagine... Of watching a resurrection. That would be pretty freaky. Uh, first thing you would wonder is, if this person was really dead, right? But they're there, they're three and a half days in, in the street, and, and everyone has, has seen them. They've been checked out by the doctors. No, they are really dead. These guys haven't moved. Uh, um, their bodies are beginning, at three and a half days, their bodies are beginning to decompose, right? So this is getting bad. The there's no color there. You're watching them, and all of a sudden, these guys raised from the dead? And you are just celebrating? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You are going to tremble if you were against them. <laughs> if you didn't like these guys, you're going to begin to tremble. You are going to begin to Shake, you won't be able to stop shaking, and that is how the world, whole world is going to feel that day, but that is just the beginning of their troubles. So with that, let's go to our question and answer time, all right? I only have four questions tonight to keep it as short as I possibly can, which probably won't be very short. 
But uh, first question is this, who will see these two prophets rise from the dead? Well, the Bible seems to indicate that it'll be the ability of the entire world to see them. Verse 9 said, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies laying in the streets for three and a half days. So it appears everybody in the world will have that ability to see them. So it must happen in a time when there's access to media outlets throughout the world. Uh, not just TVs, but uh, any other uh, device that you have. Uh, your uh, laptop, um, a tablet, a telephone. There's advances that are made with glasses now and all kinds of things where people are able to, to see what is taking place. Consider this, I believe it's in less than three years from now uh, it's been estimated that there will be 5 billion cell phones in the world. With a little over 7 billion people on the planet, or 7.5 billion people or something like that, that is a lot of people in this world that will have the ability in just a few more years to be able to see this take place. Also, Elon Musk, who's got some financial struggles going on right now, but the uh, owner and inventor of Tesla and also the president of... Um, SpaceX has said that by 2020, he intends to implement a program that will put 12,000 satellites in the atmosphere. That's a lot of satellites. The sole purpose of these satellites, you know what it is? Is to make sure there are no dead spots throughout the entire world. So you look at that and you go, okay, you have these really smart people like that. Um, you have Steve Jobs. Apple computers, you have Bill Gates, you have all the Elon Musk, is all the technology, and you start looking at the Bible, and you realize these people had to raise up at a generation of the last days to make that happen, that all of this technology would be available for all of the world, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, to be able to see what is going on. But that's just remarkable. He's saying by 2020, folks, that is not very far away. Now, he doesn't say he's going to have, uh, what I read, as I couldn't tell from the article, he plans to have it done by 2020 or the program implemented to start getting it all done. But 12,000, that the entire world would be blanketed and there would be no dead spots. So it's pretty easy for us to imagine. You have these dead bodies in Jerusalem. You have cameras everywhere now. Um, you have news. Think of 9-11. When 9-11 happened, how many times at first did you see the planes run into the World Trade Center towers, if you're old enough to remember that, right? It was over and over and over again, and if you didn't see it live, you went to the TV later and you saw it for a few days. And, and, uh, so, so, but listen, technology is way, way, way beyond that now. We are way past the technology of 2001. Uh, also, you think of Jerusalem, and uh, think of cities now, there's cameras everywhere. Uh, I have cameras at our house. If somebody's coming by, you're being spied on. That's right. But most of you probably have those too. You can buy them everywhere now. You can buy them at Costco. You can buy them from Walmart. You can buy them everywhere. So, but cities have cameras. Businesses have cameras. Jerusalem has cameras. Remember a while back when there were terror attacks that happened and some police officers were killed uh, on the Temple Mount? You remember that took place not too long ago? And Netanyahu said, we're going to put cameras on the Temple Mount so it can be monitored 24-7. Uh, however, the Muslim world reacted, said, you can't do that. 
Now listen, the, the real, they said it's because of religious purposes. The reality is that they knew they'd be caught doing all kinds of bad stuff if the cameras were up. But there's cameras everywhere. All over Jerusalem there's cameras. And, and so, uh, so it'll be real easy, right? We can figure that out with technology. Yeah, we can see this. Number two, uh, could this be true, Bob? Bob? Where's Bob come in? You'll see in a minute. Yes. This could be true. Um, and I did throw Bob in there just to get your attention. But I want you to imagine this scenario, because this is very real, and it probably will unfold repeatedly like this as these two bodies start to rise. Well, the world watches, so you can imagine this. The, world, uh, the bodies stir before their eyes. Dead bodies begin to move. Shredded flesh begins to stitch itself together. Cameras zoom in on a shattered, long-dead face, now beginning to heal. The corpse takes, uh, corpse takes a deep breath. The other corpse raises his head. They sit up. The anchor uh, men and women on television networks interrupt their talking head guests. Just a minute, Bob. See, that's where I got Bob from. Something seems to be happening at the site. Do you see what I think I'm seeing? Are the dead guys moving? The two prophets, the two witnesses look around. They smile. They stand. The crowd gathered nearby begins to scream, wail, and curse in horror and dread. Let's go to our reporter on the scene in Jerusalem. The anchor man's voice quivers as he says, What's going on, Diane? Well, Walter... The screams in the background seem to be getting louder. It appears, oh, and then they say things they shouldn't say. The person in New York who is supposed to bleep such words isn't listening. His eyes are wider than they've ever been before in his life. They're glued to the screen in front of him. He can't hear. He can only see. And what he sees is that they are alive. Celebrations around the world where they were celebrating, giving gifts, making merry to each other, suddenly turn to terror and horror. And then verse 12, they hear a loud voice from heaven saying to them, to the two prophets, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. Yikes! This is run for your life moment, but there will be nowhere to run and escape what is coming. Could it be true, Bob? Yes. These men preached that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still lives today. They taught that this Jesus, the one who we reviled and dismissed, is God the Son, very God of God. They said he rose from the dead, something like we just saw. They said Jesus ascended to heaven in a cloud. We laughed and said it was impossible. Now we have seen something like it. Could it be true, Bob? They said God will send judgment on the earth. They said we need to repent and turn to Jesus, but we didn't repent, Bob. Bob? Are you still there, Bob? I really want to know, Bob, is it true? This is the reality of how it's going to unfold. The newscasters, the talking heads, Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> I 
verse 13 says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So an earthquake, right? A massive earthquake. We hear about them. Experts warn New York City could come down like a house of cards if a 5.0 earthquake struck along the 125th Street fault line in the Big Apple is overdue one. Well, 5.0 to us in Southern California, that's like, really? Didn't we have one of those this morning? I'm not sure. You know, you're like, huh. but I mean, there you go, right? They're not prepared for it. Um, there's a picture of Los Angeles earthquake. But consider what an earthquake would do. Uh, Jerusalem Post article from November of 2017 regarding an earthquake that happened on a Sunday night in the Mideast said this. Jerusalem, or Sunday night's tremors not only gave Israelis a bit of a shakeup, it also served as a wake-up call to both the public and private sectors to get their acts together to ensure people's safety and reinforce structures and infrastructures. The 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit the border of eastern Iraq, northwest border of Iran on Sunday night, killed more than 400 people in both countries, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Aftershocks were reported throughout the Middle East and could be felt in parts of Israel, even though some of it was 1,300 miles away from the epicenter. Israel's not only immune to earthquakes, Israel is also not immune to earthquakes, and since it's located along the Syrian-African fault line, a line that runs between the border of Jordan and Israel, a major earthquake is statistically due in the region, with a serious one arriving every 80 to 100 years. The last major earthquake to hit Israel was in 1927, so it's about at the 90-year point which claimed 500 lives and registered 6.2. In light of Sunday night's shakeup, Tamir Levy, chief engineer of the Association for Better Housing, warns that most homes would not withstand a powerful earthquake. Therefore, if Israeli homes would not withstand a powerful earthquake, and the last major quake was registered at only 6.2, then it would not take a particularly massive earthquake to level a tenth of the city. In 2012... Then O.C. Home of Front Command Major General E.L. Eisenberg said that an earthquake in Israel is more dangerous than war. So as we see this whole thing unfolding, you and I live in a generation where all of this makes perfect sense. Between the technology and uh, the people's response, the way, the, way the, the world's media is right now against anything that's good and anything that's true and anything that's right, let's kill them. Let's remove them from society. Let's get rid of them. And if anybody shows up like this, oh, we've got to kill them dead. And then all of a sudden they rise, and then God sends this massive earthquake upon the city of Jerusalem. Wow, worse than war. Number three, as I said, only four questions tonight. Number three, why is this happening? Because of Jesus. Because of the world's rejection and hatred of Jesus. Because of the world's hatred of God and all that is good because of the world's love for sin and because of the world's hatred for righteousness. Verse 15 says this. So verse 14 said, uh, the second woe is past, behold, the third woe is coming. In other words, there's really bad stuff on the way. Verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ." And he shall reign forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes, and there was great hail. Wow. So after the sixth trumpet blew, uh, we've had, a, we've had a, a, a time of just introspection. So at the sixth trumpet, that's when the 200 million demons were released from the river Euphrates. Remember that? So after that took place, then we had where John sees the little book, and then we saw that the temple was rebuilt in Jerusalem, and then we were introduced to the witnesses the two witnesses and then we have all of this that is taking place and, and all hell is about ready to literally break loose um, judgment is about to be unleashed jesus is about to exercise his kingship over all things in heaven and on earth and in between and as verse 15 says jesus will reign forever and ever and ever and you can just go on and on and on, because forever never ends. It's so bad that in Matthew chapter 22, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, um, verse 22, Jesus says this. Uh, and unless those days were short, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days were shortened. This is what he's referring to. This is a really bad time. We get to chapter 12, and that's the time of Petra, when the Jews are escaping from Jerusalem from the threats of the Antichrist. And Jesus is saying, what's coming now, this is what we're reading about in, in, at the end of chapter 11, it is about ready to get so bad that no flesh could be saved. But what's interesting about this is what Jesus is doing is he is exerting his authority over all of his creation. He's letting us know it's all coming back to him. That leads us to the fourth and final question. What happened to the authority of Jesus? Real straightforward. Adam was given authority over all the earth. Then God blessed Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gives man authority over all the earth, right? You got that? That's also confirmed in Psalm 115. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. But early on, the Bible says this. In Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In the Garden of Eden and in billions of other choices, including ours. Humanity has relinquished its authority to Satan in the acts of sin. That is why Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. So, restoring his full authority is a theme of revelation. 
And it's the theme of the other prophetic books. That is what is going on with the judgment. God is judging sin, and Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign, and then we're going to enter into the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is going to be pretty nice. You think your friends make fun of Hemet? Oh, they won't be making fun of Hemet during the millennial kingdom. I'll tell you that right now. It's going to be awesome. But this is what happens. Daniel chapter 7. The ten horns. This is speaking of the ten kingdoms of the, of the Antichrist. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and he shall subdue three. So the Antichrist rises up, he subdues three kings. This is speaking of the revived Roman Empire, the global kingdom. Listen, we're reading about these things in the news every day. These ten kings, when I connect that with Revelation chapter 17, you know what that tells me? They're ten elite globalists. And elitists, uh, excuse me, the, the people that we read about. And I watch this and go, this is, this is a remarkable thing. So you have 10 elite powers that raise up, form this global kingdom. The Antichrist rises up and he realizes he needs to get rid of three of them. Three of them are a problem for him. He shall speak pompous words, the Antichrist, against the Most High, against God. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand. For a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. And then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven. So what's, what's the saying here in Daniel? Real simple. The Antichrist is going to come to power for three and a half years. At the end of three and a half years, Jesus is going to finish him off. That's what's going on here in Revelation chapter 11, where we just read, his kingdom is forever and ever and ever. So from Revelation chapter 11, this is the midpoint of the tribulation, all the way through the end, this is what Daniel's referring to, is Jesus reestablishing who he is on this planet for anybody who missed the memo. Daniel chapter 7 says, shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him, obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, and Daniel chapter 2, Jesus will crush the devil, will crush the Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 9, all things will be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, including Jerusalem and the Jewish people. But notice again, we'd read there, but we don't have enough time to do that. Notice this in, in, in uh, verse 18 again. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, God, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, praise the Lord, I say, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. I look at this and I think, praise God, there's a reward in heaven for all of his followers. And, and that's, what, that's what's going on here. There's a reward in heaven for the followers of the Lord, for those who are obedient to him. The New Testament repeatedly talks about that. But also, he says, the nations are angry. And who are they angry at? They're angry at, they're angry at God. What are they ticked off at? They're ticked off at this point of everything doing with God, but they're really upset because the witnesses, the two prophets were dead. They were happy about that. Now they rise to life, and now they know they have a huge problem. <laughs> now with their huge problem, judgment's coming. They know it. They're known, they know they're in deeper trouble than they've ever been before. You would think that they would repent, but they won't repent. Instead, what are they? Verse 18, they are 
angry at God. This is just a confirmation of the fulfillment of Psalm 2, where the psalmist wrote, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? It's vain to fight against God. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This is what we hear in the media every day, isn't it? Get rid of righteousness. Cast his cords away from us. Don't tell us that that is sin. Get rid of this book. Kick God out of the universities. This is what we hear over and over and over again. Imagine how this is going to escalate between today and the midpoint of the tribulation when these two prophets arise from the dead and that fulfillment of Psalm 2. James Weldon uh, Johnson's classic poem, The Prodigal Son, begins with these words, Young man, young man, your arm is too short to box with God. But that's what men are going to be doing. Psalm 2, they're boxing with God. You can picture God's got You know, like me fighting Craig, Pastor Craig. You know? Your arm's too short to box with God, but that is what they will be attempting to do. They will be angry with God, not repentant. Enters, enters into the second half, the rest of the tribulation period. The seventh trumpet is going to blow. All of the seal, all of the, the bowl judgments are going to come one right after another. The Jews are going to be escaping to Petra. That's the next time. And then after that, we see the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet and all that comes. Listen, the Antichrist is a judgment upon this world, although the people of the world are going to think he's their glory. But he is a judgment. Verse 19, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes, and there was great hail. Hebrews speaks a great deal about the Old Testament's earthly temple being a duplicate of the heavenly temple. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that that Old Testament temple was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. It was a copy. So th there's going to be a temple that's going to be built. But we just read here in, in verse 19 that there's also a temple in heaven. So the temple on earth is just a copy. The real thing is in heaven. It's there right now. The one on earth is going to be built and then it's going to be desecrated by the Antichrist. But the one in heaven is going to be untouched. There's also, it's interesting, according to verse 19, there's also an ark in heaven. Interesting. I have one friend that says the ark of, of uh, the tabernacle was taken up into heaven, and that's the one spoken about here. But I don't believe so. I believe, again, there's an ark here on earth somewhere, and it's a copy of the heavenly thing. Uh, but with that, let's wrap this up. Look at verse 15 again with me one last time. And then the, the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have come, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, now think about this. The complete score of Handel's Messiah was 259 pages long. That's really long. I don't write music, but to me that's long. Handel wrote the music in just 24 days. From the beginning of the Hallelujah Chorus 
From the beginning, the Hallelujah Chorus stood out. In, in Messiah's first London performance, King George II stood during the Hallelujah Chorus. Some say he stood because the words of music moved him so deeply. Others say it was because he needed to stretch his, his stiff knee. In either case, the audience following protocol stood when they saw the king stand. And a tradition followed that audiences always stand during the Hallelujah Chorus. Many times, servants found Handel in tears as he wrote. That's how a servant found him just as he had finished the Hallelujah Chorus. Tears streaming down his face, Handel said, I think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. In many ways, heaven will be often like the Hallelujah Chorus. It will feature layer upon layer of praise and amazing grace we read the words, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Heaven is going to be a lot of things. Heaven is going to be the place where we will see our loved ones who died in Christ. We will see them again, never to be separated. Heaven, in many ways, will be similar to things we have now. Just as in heaven, a copy of the temple a copy of the ark, a copy of these things. Or the real thing is in heaven. But in heaven there's a city, we know that. It's a beautiful city. Heaven will have cities. Uh, uh, Randy Alcorn speculates, heaven will, what do cities have? Cities have music. Cities have philharmonics. Cities have cafes. What's wrong with having cafes in heaven? How about coffee? Is coffee sinful? If you make it sin, then it's a sin. Coffee is not sinful for me. It's only sinful for me if I put cream and sugar in it. Other than that, it's not sinful. There will be beautiful vineyards that supply the wine at the wedding feast and much, much more. There will be a river of life and animals that we have never seen or even imagined before. There will be streets of gold and the palace and, or the temple of God. And we, again, will be reunited with our loved ones in Christ. But most of all, we will see God, because the kingdoms of this world have become, as verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. In him we are redeemed. He is coming again, and that is what this book is about. And when we see all things that are happening in our world right now, we are reminded when these things begin to happen, because everything's going this way. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Amen?